This is Old News, a podcast where we take the Old Testament and we apply it to youth ministry. Welcome. Open your Bibles. Hello and welcome back to Old News. Uh, it's Tom here and today I'm here with my friend Cam. How are you going Cam? Yeah, it's good to be here in the big leagues now. Oh uh, yeah, it's good to have you here. Uh, Cam's a friend of mine who I've uh, led a few uh, ministries alongside of. Uh, he's currently uh, a leader over at St. Luke's uh, Miranda, uh, kind of just looking after a bit of youth ministry stuff over there, looking after an age group. Uh, what's that like for you? Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's been good. We, <laughs> we've got a bunch of, of all fun and interesting characters, I lead a group of year nine boys. Um, they're good kids, um, but we love, yeah, I've had to learn what Fortnite is and <laughs> other culturally relevant terms. So it's been, it's been a good learning experience and yeah, I love leading them. Couldn't yeah. ask for any different. Yeah, awesome. Uh, what, what do things look like for you in your day-to-day life? Uh, yeah, so as we'll find out, I kind of lack all qualifications that many of the other old news guests have. Uh, day-to-day in my week, I'm studying to be a teacher. I'm in my final year of study. Um, and yeah, hoping to teach history and legal studies uh, Yeah, some, in some local high schools. So. Yeah, sweet. So a bit of uh, history background in there, though, that you can't underestimate your way of thinking. <laughs> um, so yeah, looking after year nine boys, uh, which I guess, so it'd be fair to say uh, that from just, I guess, uh, your perspective, you're just a stock standard youth leader, right? Yeah, very vanilla. Yeah, <laughs> spending time uh, hanging out, just trying to um, understand uh, year nine boys, which I suppose even the most experienced youth leader is still... Uh, working on. Uh, what are some things uh, about the Bible or about ministry that really interest you? Um, phew, big question. Uh, for me, much of my time as a Christian, um, I spent quite bluntly ignoring the Bible. Uh, I felt like it was kind of extracurricular stuff on the side. Like obviously it's the basis of our faith, but that, that's kind of for only the real keen people. I can kind of chill out and ignore it. But uh, the Bible is God's word to us. Uh, and he, yeah, we, we have such a good God that he is not distant. He's chosen to make himself known to us. Um, and it has so many implications. Um, yeah, the Bible speaks to us intellectually. It speaks to us emotionally. It speaks to us socially. Um, and it really dictates, yeah, every way that we live our life. And to ignore it uh, is only to a disservice to ourselves and to one another. So, yeah, it's so important to, I guess, put it in those words. Yeah, wicked. Um, that's really great. Um yeah, I think it's really uh, helpful uh, today. I guess we're doing something a little bit different by having you here um, because we we want to have a look at, at the Bible. Today we're looking at the book of uh, Amos or Amos or, or however you, you want to say it. Uh, it's fine. Um, yeah, but, but from the perspective of uh, you've kind of had a bit of a dig into this book uh, coming from the perspective of someone who uh, doesn't spend all their time studying the Bible uh, academically, mm-hmm. Um, but I think that'll be a really helpful thing as we think through uh, things. You're also a listener. Uh, Big fan. What's, uh, give, us, give us something that you have learnt. I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't, didn't give you this one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was the, the most recent one I've listened to was Yuan on Psalms with his name Kit. Yeah, Kit Barker, um, the legend. Yeah, it seemed, seemed like a good bloke. Um, and specifically thinking about the, what we are depriving ourselves if we don't, um, yeah, rip, rip, tackle and wrestle with the theme of lament, particularly the ones that were explored in the psalm, especially the ending of Psalm 88 was like, my closest friend is darkness, something along those lines. And yeah, that's um, never been anything that uh, I've I've heard preached on or 
been involved in youth ministry speaking about um, and I think wrestling with themes that are perhaps um, yeah unconventional in the evangelical Bible um, have been yeah really really interesting to listen to and um, yeah, cool. Thanks, man. I guess you're stuck in that position where you can only say nice things at the moment. Um, but yeah, so uh, recently you approached me and, and asked, uh, you've been reading the book of uh, Amos and you've, you've been uh, yeah, wondering if, when I was going to do a, a podcast on this one. And uh, so you Facebook messaged me and then uh, what response did you get? Yeah, so I messaged Tom saying, I thought there already was an Amos podcast. So I went to go, oh yeah, I'll listen to what the lads have to say or uh, whoever's uh, running podcasts and I found no Amos podcast. So I sent a message to Tom being like, well, when's the Amos podcast coming out? And Tom said to me, he said, do the hard yards yourself and come on and do it with me. And I was like, oh, that's uh, <laughs> a bit beyond my qualification range right now. But here we are, um, yeah, ready to look at the book of Amos. So. Yeah, which I think is important because the thing that we're really about here at Old News is that this isn't a text, this book uh, of the Bible, it, and the, the Bible as a whole, but specifically the, the Old Testament, it's not exclusive to the experts to understand, right? Mm. It's something that hopefully um, we've seen over the past, I guess, 11 episodes or so, um, that these are books that we can engage with ourselves. They're valuable for us. Uh, and we don't need uh, someone with a PhD to walk us through each thing. Uh, so we are really uh, lucky in that uh, Cam had a bit of time and was able to in invest a bunch of time thinking about this book uh, and what... Yeah, and I guess we're going to kind of go through and think about the riches that he's discovered uh, and then I might just hang out and add in my insights as they come along, although I do like to hear my own voice, so I might interrupt more than I should, <laughs> but we'll see how we go, right? Yeah, so today we're going to be looking at the book of Amos or Amos or whatever people want to say. Uh, I've been listening to my uh, lecturer from Israel for too long, <laughs> whose son is Amos. So I, um, I'm stuck with that in my head. So I hope you guys can deal with that. Um, but yeah, so we'll be looking at this book, a book that uh, Cam spent a bunch of time thinking about now and delving into uh, probably more than any other youth leader in Australia has been over the past month. Um, so yeah, this would be really cool. Well, what, what do we know about uh, this book? Uh, so we, th we think that, that Amos was hanging out in the north of the, king the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, but he prophesies into the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, it's during uh, the king Jeroboam II. He's a particularly... Uh, we, we don't like him. He's not a good guy. Yes. Um, we have a lot of bad things to say about him generally, especially uh, in Two Kings. Um, but yeah, what you'll find is that, um, yeah, he, he prophesies against them. Uh, this is before the exile. Um, but Amos is a collection of uh, sermons. So it's not a consistent narrative or consistent kind of one-off spiel that comes out of Amos's mouth, uh, but rather it's a, a bunch of sermons that he has preached or a bunch of uh, prophecies that he's, he's preached to the people and then they've been collected together afterwards. Uh, what is something uh, that has really stood out to you about this when you've been reading it, Cam? I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably have to say the theme of the theme of judgment is consistently there the whole time. Sometimes, yeah, you feel like God is using uh, Amos uh, the same way, six different times to make the same point, but the theme of judgment is yeah super consistent throughout the whole time and it, yeah, it got me reflecting on I guess the weight of my own sin, the weight of our sin, uh, and how we don't really know the crime. Um, 
yeah, I think the theme of judgment was just quite striking out of the big themes. Yeah, and I think it's um, you know, once again, and what we're tending to find with all these prophets, right, when we look at them, is is they're hitting onto this theme that is particularly unpopular in our society now. And you know, I think it's the the fair to say it was probably unpopular then as mm. well. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> idea that God was going to judge them, and this book is so soaked in judgment. It's coming up so often uh, that clearly uh, they were. I think we'll probably suggest that they were ignoring it as much as we, we tend to ignore it, mm. which should be good. Yeah, so great. Um, I'm looking forward to jumping into the text now, giving us a bit of a, a breakup. Uh, I probably wouldn't preach this for an entire Australian school term, mm. um, largely due to the, I guess, the similar themes uh, and also just the, the, the small sections of joy in it. I think God says he's going to relent once and then at the end gives a bit of restoration. Uh, but other than that, it can be quite heavy. Uh, so I'd probably aim to do for a, a, term, a half a term or a bit, little bit longer. Mm. Um, but yeah, let's see how we go looking at the passage. Okay, so uh, we said, Ken, that we'd probably jump in on and do our first talk on chapter one and two. Uh, what, what's going on in these chapters? Well, Amos, is, he's just prophesying for Israel. And we're going to see the series of prophecies uh, progressively as you go through the book. Uh, but he begins with prophecies about the surrounding nations all, over, all around Israel. And if you're an Israelite listening to this, you're actually going to be licking your lips. He starts off by dishing out God's judgment against Syria. Syria had mistreated their neighbors uh, in Gilead. And then he progressively moves on. He starts to condemn the Philistines. He condemns Edom. He condemns the Ammonites. And if you're Israel, this is good news, right? Your neighbors that you have mostly hostile relations with are hearing the condemnation against them. He goes on to Moab. And again, this is good news for Israel. He then goes on to Judah, which is really good news uh, for Israel. Judah being the southern kingdom has a very hostile relationship with Israel. And if you're in the northern kingdom and you're listening to this, you are thinking, this is good news. All these people are going to receive God's judgment. How good is this? Keep on talking, Amos. But I don't think they really want Amos to keep on talking because what he says next, he turns against Israel and he starts to really condemn Israel for the way they have. And if you look at the passage, there is way more on Israel than there is about any of the other nations. And really the rest of this book is God's condemnation, God's judgment against Israel. And Israel have done some terrible things. Uh, you have terrible treatment of the poor. You have incest. You have prostitution. Uh, you have the combination of um, <laughs> profaning God's name while doing prostitution. It's, it's really terrible stuff that's going on here. Um, if you want to del delve into the finer details, I think it would be quite horrifying. Um, but yeah, Israel have terribly sinned against God. They have shamed God. And they um, yeah have brought about, rightfully, the judgment. Um, well, they've brought about God's judgment against them. And rightfully so. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of, the, I guess, my synopsis of the first two chapters. Yeah, so it's a pretty kind of intense... Uh, section and, and especially when God uses images like uh, uh, now then I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain so the kind of weight of judgment is felt um, yeah which was, I just love the imagery um, that the prophets uh, will use in this situation um, but yeah I really appreciate what you're saying about looking outwards uh, from Israel uh, and seeing all these other countries being judged and thinking yeah that's awesome and then suddenly bam oh it's going to happen to us too uh, when you were reading it, obviously from the mindset of someone who spends most of their time attempting to get 
any information you can across to your nine boys. Mm. Uh, what what were the the, the application or uh, relevant points that did you feel you would you would start with? Mm. I think it's, it's good to sit under the weight of what our scene deserves um, using those like very heavy images. I think it's quite easy just to to shirk that and to avoid it. But I think we should explore it. We should actually look at what sin deserves. And those, yeah, those really quite uh, strong images that you used before, it's, it's because sin deserves God's judgment. And I think if, if we uh, grab the Old Testament and we look forward towards the cross, what we see is that Jesus' death on the cross, it isn't just our debt being cancelled. It's our debt being paid for. Like, this is what sin deserves. Um, yeah, we, we deserve God's judgment for rebelling against him. We've shamed him. Um, and I think as well, if we think about youth culture, um, quite often for, for you and I, we, we're from a, like a Sydney evangelical context. Um, quite often, the main gospel motif that we use is penal substitution, right? Jesus coming, he's paid our punishment. Everything is viewed in terms of rules and laws and our failing. And we're legally pronounced righteous, I guess. Um, but what we're having as well is we have particularly in Sydney, but I'm sure in many other major metropolitan cities, is you've got a very multicultural context where that, I guess, not legalistic, because that's not quite the word I'm looking for, but I guess the, the, the image of the courtroom, right? Being declared righteous, being declared guilty, where that imagery, that, um, yeah, that image that had been powerful for a lot of people in, in a Western context, doesn't really resonate quite the same. And what we have, particularly in, I guess, Asian cultures as well, is the shame honor motif. And this, this passage really explores it. They're, they're, the sin that they've done is that they have shamed God's name. They have, uh, they have brought dishonor to God uh, by what they've done, by the shameful acts, um, yeah, by their poor treatment of the poor. They haven't just sinned against one another. They, they have shamed God. They have brought dishonor to him. Um, and the story of the gospel is, is us being restored to honor through Jesus' death on the cross. Um, it 100% is Jesus' death making us righteous. But uh, one of the great, um, one of the great sides of the gospel is that there's many layers to it, and one of those layers as well is that we have been restored to honor uh, from a position of dishonor. I guess uh, that would probably be a good way of beginning a, an application-heavy and gospel kind of centered focus on chapters one and two. Yeah, and for um, uh, as I kind of mentioned before, we have a lot of uh, listeners uh, who are overseas, and so might not. Uh, necessarily buy into the penal substitution vibes, which is all cool uh, if if that's you listening along at the moment. Uh, but I think um, I think that's really helpful in that there's these images that we we try and apply onto onto everything and, and that our culture can tend to uh, apply. Um, but the Bible isn't always working through them in that way. And I think that section of of bringing dishonor to God's name it really hits me how um, like our sin isn't just wrong because it's wrong it it has an effect on someone mm. and either that, either that's another person and God, or it's just God. Mm. And that the sin uh, that we carry out in our lives, the secret sin that might only affect us, um, but is seen by God, um, that our youth, youth kids and or really most people in general might think is harmless, mm. um, does have an impact and it is seen mm. and it does affect God. Um, the, the other thing that I probably want to have a, have a crack at too, which might just be the, uh, the despairing uh, youth pastor in me uh, is our youth kids can often, I think church as a whole can do this, um, but our youth kids can often have this righteous inner clique mm. um, who are the ones who come regularly to youth group and know everyone. Um, but how many people have fallen away or left youth group 
because they have felt like those nations on the outside and that Israel is looking out on them and thinking like wet at the lips, right? They're mm. being judged for what they've done because they're wrong and they're doing the wrong thing. We're God's people. Um, how, how much can our youth groups sometimes reflect that culture and that we look at those on the outside and kind of place them differently to us. But here God judges them, but then he says, but also you will be judged because you have also sinned. Mm. And, and I think uh, as Christians, we can sometimes look at the non-Christian or the outsider and think, it's all right, God's going to judge you. Um, but so much that we don't think about the fact that if we aren't uh, turning to God in faith and genuinely following him, uh, then, then we, we, we're at risk of the same thing. Yeah, I think, I think like the passage as well puts the idea of judgment in kind of that perfect tension between um, like excessive permissiveness where we have the attitude of, you know, no one can judge me, who are we to judge, mm. yada, yada, yada. And the extreme, which we kind of see in the Pharisees, where it's a hypocritical judgment. It's a, um, it's a judgment and condemnation of others without any introspection, without any reflection. Um, and I think, yeah, the moment when, um, yeah, it, it creeps in on Israel and gets closer and closer to home and then actually hits home. And the rest of the book of Amos is about them. Yeah, I think like that is an incredibly good um, and yeah, tough message to grapple with. But mm. I think it hits that perfect tension and explains it and captures it quite well. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a good intro um, talk to a series, I guess, as mm. we start to, to delve into those things and, and now start to think uh, about chapter three. Cool, so chapter three, uh, as if things hadn't already heated up, uh, continues uh, to be the case, but now very direct talking to Israel. Uh, how does, yeah, how's three addressing things? Yeah, well, in this chapter, Israel's sins seem to be a little more vaguely alluded to. It is more a poetic picture of what's to come. But one thing is for sure, judgment is coming. It uses an image of verse four of the lion. Um, and it says, does the lion roar when he has no prey? Um, meaning that, you know, are my proclamations about Israel's destruction that are going to come? Is that an empty threat? Like, does the lion roar if he has no prey? Um, the lion has roared. And yeah, Israel's judgment, Israel's destruction is coming. And the next major image we get uh, is of God inviting Egypt and the Philistines to come and have a look at Israel. Now, this is important, uh, as some background research kind of indicated. Israel was a kind of barrier between the Assyrians and Egypt and the Philistines. And so God is saying, Egypt and Philistines, this, this, this nation that you thought was going to keep you safe, um, yeah, because of their barrier, uh, come and have a look at them. Come and have a look at the, the absolutely low moral standards they live by. Come and have a look at their yeah, terrible and empty worship. And you have this yeah, image of Egypt and the Philistines looking on at Israel uh, and yeah, just kind of the, the total moral decay that's gone on there. And uh, yeah, we kind of also move to the end of like judgment is coming. Israel is going to be overrun. Uh, ironically, this this temple that they've built up, this um, temple in Bethel, that has yeah, kind of altars to false idols. Um, it's going to get overrun. It's going to get beaten. The things that Israel had built up, yeah, they're, they're going to be run down. They're going to be overcome. And yeah, everything they built up through their own strength and without uh, reliance and dependence on God and faithfulness to God, it, it's going to get destroyed and they're going to be overrun. Yeah, it's kind of this weird uh, irony moment, isn't it? When the enemies of Israel, um, who traditionally God has saved them from, uh, so coming out of Egypt and also defeating the Philistines, 
that they're the ones now who are watching Israel mm. being destroyed. Um, yeah, and that kind of, uh, the thing at the end that you said about, um, like, all the things that, you, that Israel have built up for themselves, like, the plunder that they built up is itself plundered, um, that those things, purely because God has decided will be the case, uh, are completely uh, destroyed, and all the things that they held in their pride uh, have, the things that they thought would save them haven't. Mm. Um, which, yeah, I think is a, a pretty powerful message. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think that's probably where I would start with that with application, well, not to say start with application, but it's definitely where I'd be heading, um, talking about the things of the world that we chase after instead of God, mm. um, that we make our comfort and security instead of God. Um, and that can that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be objects or things that we own, but it could be friendships and mm. relationships that we we have um, that we in themselves aren't bad, but might be idolized or, um, you know, that we think that pursuing that relationship with that non-Christian is going to be the thing that makes mm. us happy and finds us security. Um, but ultimately, uh, without God and without followership of him uh, through Christ, then there's there's really nothing for us that can stop against the judgment. Um, mm. Yeah, well, how do you feel about those things? Yeah, I think if you look at, um, I guess, the, the root of what's gone wrong, it's they, they've lost their awe of God. They've lost um, mm. their delight in his faithfulness. Like I said, it was a, it's a very ironic image. Egypt, who... Uh, God rescued them from with, with the Exodus and the Philistines who there's there's countless stories in I guess the historical narrative books of the Old Testament of God rescuing Israel from them it's those guys that have looked on and we look at them and we think oh those, those silly Israelites how could they have done what they did but if we don't see ourselves in that picture we, we're kidding ourselves like you know mum asks me how my day is and I complain about you know I still live at home with my mum, by the way. Um, <laughs> mum asks me how's my day is, and I complain about, you know, oh, uni wasting my time. You know, we get off a flight, and we're like, oh, man, man, that flight was, was terrible. We're screaming baby next to us. And 100 years ago, we couldn't do it. Like, we, mm. we couldn't fly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be studying. I'd be fighting in a war. Like, um, we, we, we've lost our thankfulness and our gratitude for small things. What well, makes us think that we would keep our gratitude and, be, and not necessarily, and be different to the Israelites and guess kind of the biggest picture of all. And I think it's real hard application there of, you know, if you lose your love for the gospel, if you lose your all for the gospel, um, then that's going to manifest itself in a bunch of different ways. And I guess the surface level sin we see happen in a bunch of ways. But yeah, they've chased after false idols. They've chased after things that aren't God. They've lost their awe of God and they've lost, yeah, their wonder for him. Yeah, it's incredibly dangerous uh, as you've you've demonstrated. And, um, and I guess will now manifest itself in a, a pretty core way um, as we think about worship now as we hit up chapter four. Yeah, so in chapter four, we have, uh, it begins with a condemnation for the horizontal sin that's going on, the way they treat the poor. And then we move on into, I guess, some of the more vertical sin, um, the false worship that's going on, the, 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 the deplorable idolatry. Uh, but each time after each condemnation, uh, there's this line that you, you might read. It says, yet you have not returned to me. And in Israel's sin, the way they've stuffed up and when things haven't, even when things haven't been going well for him, for them, sorry, they haven't returned to God. They have not returned to God. And it says it, I'm looking down at the Bible here, I'm seeing about maybe seven or eight times it says, yet you have not returned to me. Every time they stuff up, they refuse to turn to God. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that seems to be the gist of chapter four uh, from what I read. Yeah, and it's, um, I, I'd say probably it was the, the chapter that challenged me the most when I was reading it through. Um, 
largely because I think I can just see so much myself in it, which is a never-ending pain of, of doing this. Um, but yeah, that they were sinful, but yet in their sin, they still boast in this false worship. Um, but then when things actually get hard, they don't turn to God, even though, as he states at the end, he who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, he's the one with all the power. Mm. Um, but how much is that us, right? Like mm. how much is is we have these private lives of sin, these secret sins that we live in. And, mm. and then we go to youth group and we put on our youth group face. We go to church, we put on our church face. Uh, we might go to a Bible study in the week, we put on our Bible study face. And we put on this false worship. We know how to pray. Yeah, We know how to do... You know, I think by the time I was in year 10, I could do a prayer that mm. would make my youth leader think, yeah, that guy's sweet. Mm. But then in the meantime, I might have a bunch of sin in my life that I'm going along with. And... Um, and, and God's saying here that when when we do that, it also then means that we have got to the point where not only do we not rely on him for our day-to-day things, but then when things get really hard, and, and in this situation in Amos, God has made things hard and they have not turned to him either for reprieve or for help. They have lost the habit of worship mm. in that they have you know, their fake worship that they do out of pride to show everyone that they're awesome because it has no meaning to them. They don't then turn to God in that worship when things go wrong. Mm. And, and that's really scary. Um, I think it's scary because it's just, that's timeless. Like that is how people have always behaved as followers of, of God and of Jesus. And as Christians now that we, we know who's the most powerful and it says here, who's the most powerful yet we continually uh, put on a good face but when we really need God, we don't turn to him. Mm. Like, I think we also like instinctively cover our tracks. I remember when, yeah. when, when I, I, was, I was in youth group, um, again, like I could probably share with much of, much of your story there where you knew the textbook answer to say. And at the time you think, oh yeah, like my youth group leader thinks I'm the man. Looking back now, my youth leader saw straight through that. Like that facade <laughs> never would have like fooled uh, my youth leader. But yeah, I think we can, we, we can very easily create a culture where it's, not it's not okay to be not okay mm. and um yeah i think i felt like i've carried this weight of expectation to be to be the guy and to have you know this facade that didn't match my life whatsoever um but yeah like we, we, we need to remind our youth like when things aren't going well like return to god return to god like yeah do, doing what israel have done doing like this the, the horrible worship and god is still saying to them return to me return to me like mm. no one is foregone to return to god and obviously we think of that in terms of salvation, but even in the day-to-day, um, like, yeah, even in day-to-day life, um, whether it be kind of what you're watching on the internet, um, the way you've spoken to someone, the way you treat other people, it, it is never too late. And it is, it, it's all, it's, it's what God is asking for. He wants us to return to him mm. and he's crying out for Israel to return back to him. Yeah. And so maybe this also puts the challenge on us to, to put it to our youth leaders um, that they need to be authentic. Mm. Um, in in how they pray with their kids and, and how they talk about worship mm. with them, um, so that there is that environment where um, you youth feel like they can talk about these things, that they know when things are hard that what they need to do is come come before the Father and mm. and pray to Him. Uh, yeah. It's it's kind of I think the thing that makes that hits me so much about this passage is is that it's so sad is mm. that they their false worship has now meant that the thing that they had that was an opportunity to bring them to God when things were hard, they don't even think to turn to now. Mm. How lost can we be? Yeah, for sure.
Okay, and so we're jumping into, I think the next section we said we do is we do five and six together. Mm. How are we feeling about that? Yeah, well, God is furious with the state of Israel's worship. I mean, that's probably underselling it, actually. Um, he, he consistently says to them, if you remember back to chapter four, he said, repent and turn to me. In chapter five, he is saying, seek me and live. And notice he's saying, seek me. Uh, I'm just going to read out verse 21 because I think this captures it pretty well. He says, uh, after saying, seek me, seek me, he says this. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are as stench to me. Uh, if we think of Israel and like the phony worship that they were doing, um, obviously with some of the technical details, it's hard to get our head around, but I guess would I write saying an accurate summary of this is just saying it's, it's horrendously like terrible worship. It is, um, yeah, it, 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 is, it is so displeasing to God in what they're doing. Their sacrifices are empty. Their festivals are done to parade themselves rather than uh, to glorify God. And yeah, we see God is furious at this. Mm. And I think, yeah, the consistent theme is seek me and live. And we notice that worship is rooted in seeking God, not in the act that we do, not in the festival for us, not in, I guess, the way we read the Bible, the way we sing, um, the stuff that comes out of our mouth during small groups. Um, yeah. True worship is found in God and we have to seek him. Yeah, and I just get this image of desperation. Like that's that seek me and live um, statement that I think comes up at least twice. Um, or oh, sorry, it says seek good, not evil is, is the second time. Um, it just seems that there's this desperation from, from Amos that people would turn and that we get the vibe, especially in chapter five, that it's not too late, mm. that they could turn this around. They could come before God and follow him, seek good, not evil, that they may live. Then the Lord Almighty will be with you just as you say he is in verse 14. Um, there is an opportunity to turn around here and that it's not too late, that things have gone far. Um, it's gotten to the point now where, you know, God is disgusted by their worship that is without faith, that is worth nothing and that there must be consequences for that. But there's still this call to return and to turn back and, I think it's just similar to um, perhaps the Lord will have mercy. Um, I think there's a similar statement in other parts of, of the Minor Prophets where it's, you know, and, and maybe the Lord will have mercy on us. If we just turn, maybe there's a chance that we will be relieved of this. Um, and so there just seems to be this, you know, after getting to the end of that really sad chapter four, um, as we've kind of, we've ended on, you know, making sure that we do turn to God in our worship. It, it, we then see that on the other side, it's he, this is what he wants from us. He wants us to turn to him. Mm. We have an opportunity to turn to him. I really feel uh, the gospel strongly in this part uh, as an opportunity that, you know, as we feel, um, as God feels about people who don't follow Christ, like he's just turn mm. and accept Christ. You can come back to him, but also for Christians that have gone off in the wrong direction, for false teachers, mm. you know, there, there's a turn back to God. There is an opportunity to do that. Um, I guess a, a mention of the day of the Lord, which is uh, yeah helpful here, but uh, I guess here is more expanded into the, guys, you are in no state to want that to come because it's not going to be good for you. Mm. Um, wanting the day of the Lord to come. Um, and then six just has a crack, continue, I guess continues to have a crack at complacency. Um, though, you know, you strum away, I love this image, you strum away at, on your harps like David, you drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Uh, that they, 
you know, their, their faith is so fake mm. and, um, and that God hates that so much. Um, but yet they're prideful in their faith. They're prideful as their nation. They would probably say they were God's nation mm. if they're asked, but here they go. And so ultimately uh, it's been decided uh, for the Lord has given the command to this verse 11 of chapter 6 and he will smash the great house into pieces Jeez. and the small house into bits. It's inevitable. Like, yeah. once it's been decided, that's game over. Mm. Especially if, if you think of like, back to, I think it was chapter 3 where uh, Amos says, the, the lion has roared. Mm. Uh, Jesus has died. He, he said he's coming back again. But when he comes back again, he is coming as judge. Um, and, and yeah, like... <laughs> We are living in, in that time that, that this part of Amos is in. Like the lion has roared, but God is still calling us to repentance. He wants us to come back. Mm-hmm. He wants us to return to him, whether that is for the first, like coming to faith for the first time or yeah, returning back after um, yeah, a, a fairly big dry spell. Yeah. Uh, he wants us to seek him. And so it's even more so for us, right? Because we're on this side of the cross. Mm. And so these guys, they kind of have the... Um, the threat of the evil that is to come, but we we have so much more to see, and mm. that we've seen how God has saved us through Christ, and so for us to know that the you know the lion has roared, um, and yet we're still complacent and we're still prideful in our faith, um, yeah, we really are without excuse, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, which I guess is a big challenge for anyone, um, but I think especially for for the people, uh, the kids in our youth group that have been Christians for a while mm-hmm. um, and kind of the ones who, you know, the classic kid at Sunday school that everyone will look at when a, when a hard question yeah. comes up, <laughs> that often they're the kids who are in the most danger because they, their faith is a, a point of pride for them. Mm-hmm. They have this label that they continue to wear. I wonder how they'd react if they were told that like that their worship like displeases and, and God, God sees it with disdain. I wonder if, if, if my worship uh, and the way, you know, um, the, the, I would in inverted commas glorify God I wonder if God looks at some of the things that I do and things like, like that that was just for you man yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. Like, and um, yeah if we think think particularly in our youth life I remember when I was in youth group going back to the kind of feeling the pressure of wanting to say the right things mm. to and I thought that I was actually pleased with God by doing that if if I can say it to say this even though it doesn't match at all with what's going on in my life it doesn't match with my heart if I say this and people think this about me like God will be pleased that I'm only saying the right mm. thing but nah like God, he he despises that. He hates that. Like, do you not make a mockery of God with your worship? Um, and yeah, I think I think like I think I, I look at my life. What do I think about when we're saying doing corporate singing? What am I thinking about during a sermon? What am I thinking about when I'm when I'm doing my own quiet time? I wonder all the time when when I'm praying to God. Um, yeah, it's like all these things I do that make me such a good Christian are actually just making me such a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I really feel that. And it may be, um, maybe, maybe it's important that not only our youth kids, but our leaders feel the way of that. Yeah. As absolutely. they, as they p- potentially prepare some of these talks. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, things take a little bit of a turn now in, in, in chapter seven, we get a bit of a different vibe. So yeah, I'm keen to have a look at that. And so in chapter seven, we get a shift uh, towards, I guess, more of a narrative format. And we begin with Amos pleading with the Lord saying, like, please have mercy. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. And so the Lord relented. And it's kind of the same thing happens again. So the Lord's relented twice. And uh, in this final section of the first half of chapter seven, 
Amos uses what's called a plumb line. Now, a plumb line was what was used to measure whether a wall was straight or crooked. And he uses this image to convey that Israel is really crooked. Israel is not like a wall that is straight. They have wandered from God and they are, yeah, they are terribly corrupted. And so one of the other kind of key uh, prophets going around at this time about called Amaziah, he goes to the king and he says, uh, like this guy Amos is conducting a bit of a conspiracy. Um, and he yeah, essentially accuses Amos of being a false prophet. The irony being that he's a false prophet. He's just trying to surround the king with good news and tries to bring good news to the king that Israel's okay. Uh, that God's, God's judgment isn't coming. And at the end of chapter 7, we essentially see uh, Amaziah suffer the consequences for his, um, yeah, kind of false prophesying. And we get some, some, pretty, some pretty big images. It says, Your wife will become a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up. And you yourself will die in a pagan country. Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. And that's how we leave chapter 7. Um, yeah, with, with Amaziah yeah, eating his words. Yeah, I mean, we always love it when uh, an enemy of the people uh, eats their words. Um, but yeah, this is just really intense. I mean, the um, it, it goes from God relenting from destruction to this false prophet just being completely hammered. Uh, I think the thing that sticks out to me, though, is how, um, how people respond to the revelation of their sin. Um, that... God through Amos kind of exposes the crookedness of Israel. Um, but Amaziah's response is, let's get rid of this guy. Mm. Uh, we don't like hearing what he has to say. We don't want to hear it anymore. So we're going to get rid of him. We're going to ditch him. Uh, we're going to ask him to go. And so um, are we tempted sometimes when people bring harder messages to um, push them away? And, and is our society now tempted to you know, push, push away those harder uh, things that they hear. So when we bring judgment or we try and tell people mm. about their sin, uh, whether they're Christian or not, do the, the people uh, try and listen to another prophet that will give them what they want to hear? Oh, 100%. I think like being a, being a studying teacher, you get a bit of an inside look on, I guess, what the next generation is going to be taught in terms of values. And we're very much, uh, the, the, the generations coming through right now are very much becoming less and less products of modernism and more and more products of postmodernism. And I guess to try and unpack a bit of that jargon, uh, postmodernism kind of has an attitude of, of complete relativism. Like you have your ways, I have my ways. Um, who are you to judge me? Uh, there's no kind of absolutely correct interpretation of things. Like we each have our own way. And so what's, what's happened is that a lot of things that um, the Bible has kind of consistently called sin and is consistently condemned, uh, we're seeing. Um, mm. Yeah, people are like, who are you to judge me about the way that I live my lifestyle like this? It, it, can, it can be anything. It can, it can be about money. It can be about sexuality. It can be... Um, yeah, about, about the way we treat one another, about um, kind of dynamics within relationships, all sorts of all sorts of things that uh, were once that, that were once universally viewed as sin in the mm. Western world because of what the Bible had said has now become relativized. And so, yeah, we've moved away from from that harsher judgment and moved towards something that is far more comforting to us. And I think it's especially important to be aware of because our youth that are coming through are going to be more and more taught this value system. And so, Amos's message it's it's an absolute shock. And there'll be a huge temptation, all of us, like there's a huge temptation for all of us to be like Amaziah. But if we particularly consider the, the, cultural, the cultural environment that our youth are being raised in, I think there's going to be a real temptation to react like Amaziah. Mm. And I think, yeah, it's, it's something to be, be really aware of. Tell people what they want to hear, mm. um, hoping that will boost numbers. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, guys, we're not going to take pot shots, but there are definitely a, a whole bunch of, of preachers that do that. And, mm. that, um, and that here, the, you know, things aren't looking good for them from the 
the perspective of the Bible and that you know, people are always going to seek out a more prosperous gospel than the truth actually is. Mm. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, an earthly prosperity rather than a, a heavenly one. Mm. And so, yeah, I think impressing upon our kids that they need to be listening to the Amos and not the Amaziah of the world uh, is is difficult but important for them and, and that they need to know that the Amaziah of the world will be judged and that it will be harsh and will be crazy. Uh, and also, I think uh, something you, you mentioned to me earlier was just to think for, for a second, if, you know, if the Amos of the world comes in and puts the plumb line up next to their line, mm. next to their scene, what's it going to look like mm. and, and their life? And yeah. And so I think reflecting on those things makes for quite a powerful second last talk of a series um, when they're, they're really having to think about not only their own sin, but how they respond to mm. being told that they sin. Mm. And will they look for that prophet? And based off everything we've read so far, I think we'd have great reassurance in being like, mm. no, it, it is okay to return to God. Like, you're not too far gone. The plumb yeah. line's been held up to us. We are sinful. Like, return to God. This is what God wants. He's not He's not coming angry. Like Yeah, and the plumb line showed us, shows us that we need Jesus, right? Mm. And, and Amos, if he was writing, you know, a thousand years later, would say, and so turn to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so we need we need him because Amos is right, Amaziah is not. Uh, and so we need to turn to Christ uh, to be saved. And that we... Um, but do you think false prophets, like they have a way of, of saying that too. Like they'll say, turn to Jesus and everything will be awesome. Mm. Instead of turn to Jesus because you're a sinner and it's the only way you can be saved. Mm. Um, which is just a, a challenge that I guess we'll continually come up against. Okay, and so we get to the last uh, chunk. I mean, this would be a pretty hefty Bible reading. I imagine you might want to do sections of it uh, if, uh, or just do all of it if you feel <laughs> like you can have that type of crack. Um, but yeah, we'd probably do eight and nine together just because of the, the similar, similar imagery. Um, I mean, it spends how much time you want to spend talking about fruit. Um, but yeah, what, what are you thinking about eight and nine? Uh, well, well, eight begins with a very vivid... Uh, Poetic, poetic image of the incoming destruction. And we know from history that the Assyrians would go on to conquer uh, Israel. Mm. And it, it, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite uh, gross and vulgar. It's dead bodies everywhere. Um, feasts are being turned into mourning, darkening of the earth, even in the daytime. Like it, it's quite a, a, quite a strong image. Um, but what happens in chapter nine is we get the restoration of Israel. Um, and yeah, chapter nine is, is talking about how Israel will be restored. But again, if we know from history, Israel as a literal nation is never properly restored. Mm. So was was God speaking through Amos wrong here or is he getting at something greater? And I think this is where we can really finish with the great message of hope that is in the gospel. Uh, true restoration for Israel did not come through um, the earthly kingdom. Um, it was actually a rather unfortunate rest of history for those Israelites. Uh, it yeah. came through Jesus. Um, yeah, really coming and dying on the cross, taking... Uh, the punishment for everything that we've heard so far deserved judgment. He took God's judgment. And because of Jesus, we don't have that earthly restoration. We have a far greater restoration. Uh, we have restoration to God. We have restoration of earth with heaven. And yeah, it, it's, a, it's a real strong message of hope to finish on a very uh, dark and um, heavy, I guess, eight chapters in the build up to this. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, and these, these kind of deep images of the unstoppable judgment of God that is coming, that God will judge the wicked, uh, that the time is ripe for the people of Israel. Um, and that in that day, and I think um, this probably referencing the day of the Lord um, and talking, speaking in a future eschatological sense about the restoration and judgment uh, that is to come. Um, but I also think here um, it continues with a theme uh, that we haven't given heaps of time to, but it comes up a lot, uh, which is the way in which Israel have, the prideful of Israel have abused the marginalized. Mm. And so it seems to be at each point, and you could either talk about it in this talk or uh, a couple of the other chapters uh, talk about this as well, um, the responsibility that we have towards those who are who are the social outcasts, the social economically poor, um, that, that these people, Israel are very much being judged because they have not cared for the weak and, and our God is a champion for the weak, mm. uh, as we see in Christ mm. uh, when he comes. Um, but that there is a hope. And I think we, once again, have less excuse because we have the advantage of the, seeing the cross. We've seen what that hope looks like. We're now living in the, in the time before Jesus returns and, and finally makes everything right. But we can now, at this point, be sanctified by the grace of God. And that is incredible in comparison to them at the time. And so we do have less excuse uh, when it comes to to seeing this. But I think it's really great that this book ends with uh, a bit of hope uh, that we can see the restoration that might not come literally for Israel, but would come ultimately for Israel. Mm. Uh, and that is uh, a really powerful thing. And I really love uh, that the book f- comes to this point. Um, I also think that this book's been a lot more... Like often we, we get caught up in the fact that it's judgment after judgment after judgment, but it's really got had a lot of important uh, moments for us in, in thinking carefully about our own faith. So I found it quite a practical book, mm. um, particularly those points about worship, um, thinking externally and instead of internally. Um, like it's Amos is bringing dis, bringing judgment and destruction, but he's also kind of giving us a manual on how to avoid it. Mm. And I think that's that's really helpful and, and probably will be a really powerful tool for an youth ministry. Mm. I think, yeah, it, re- it really hits on a lot of the, the heart-based issues. We see uh, the sin of Israel. It's, it's not just a bunch of actions they're doing. It's a depraved heart. And yeah, I think, I think with speaking to our youth, it can often become like burdensome. Oh, I'm not supposed to do this, not supposed to do this, not supposed to do this. It's no turn your heart towards God. Like mm. the lion is roared, repent and come. Worship back to him God. authentically. Choose him. Be his agent in the world. Mm. What a wonderful book. All right, Cam. Um, yeah, thanks first for all the work that you put into this. It's pretty great uh, to see and good for people to see as well. Um, that, you know, stock standard, grab you out of a youth <laughs> ministry youth leader and you have the skills and the ability to to sit down and read this book and, and understand it and now help people with it. So I think hopefully uh, hopefully people are encouraged by that and that they can see this is really what we're going for um, as part of this podcast. So Cam, how about you give us your short summary of uh, what is the book of Amos to you? Uh, for me, the book of Amos, it's about our sin, which comes from a heart that I guess is wanted from God, and we deserve his judgment as a result. Uh, but we've been restored to honor through the blood of Jesus, and now we are not only free from that judgment, but um, are looking forward to his return with great, great hope. Um, yeah, that's our... Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad that this book could have been a blessing to you. 
as we as we wrap up today. Uh, just quickly, um, yeah, we're celebrating a thousand likes on our Facebook page it's at awesome. the moment, which was pretty cool. Um, but just a, a quick one for people: if you do listen to the podcast and you like it, uh, please jump on a Facebook, uh, type in Old News Bible, three different words, uh, and, and chuck us a like and maybe even give us a review. Uh, that would be really awesome. All right, thanks guys, and thanks Cam. Yeah, thank you. This has been a presentation from Old News Bible. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at oldnewsbible at gmail.com. All quotes from the Bible were taken from the New International Version 2011, and the music is Amber by Drake Stafford.